So James chapter 1, the first portion we looked at, James was warning us of what's going to happen when we enter into trials. And again, he doesn't say if you enter into a trial. He says when you are going to enter a trial. After that, then he focuses on temptations. Where do temptations arise? And when temptations get met with the things going on in our hearts, they give birth to sin. It's conception. Just like two things touch and a baby has life, our sin starts off when temptation comes. And now the evil desires in our heart touch those temptations. That's the very moment, the very second that sin is born. So he warns us about that. Again, for us to take ownership when we sin, when we fall, when we see evil around us or in our homes, for us to take ownership of it. It's not someone else's fault. It's our own fault. That lure, like we looked at last time, it's that fishing lure that each of us have within our own heart. Now, the enemy messes with us. He, he flashes it. He jigs it. He shakes it. He walks the dog. Those are all fishing terms. He moves that lure, Right? But then when we bite on it, when we snap on it, that's the moment that it becomes sin. And then there was a great warning for us to not be that double-minded individual, that double-souled individual that we're saying with our mouth in a sense, Lord, I love you. Lord, I want to be like you. But we're also not wanting to let go of sin or things that are going on in this world. There's certain desires, certain things we want, and we're saying, Lord, I want you, but God, I really want to have this at the same time. And just like that wouldn't work in a marriage, oftentimes that won't work in your job. It doesn't work in our relationship with the Lord. We can't say, Lord, I love you and I want you, but I also want to be unfaithful to you 5% of the time or 10% of the time. With that final note, now James, he sort of goes deeper into this thought process verse 19 and 20 we read it right so now we right beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak and slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God so what he's telling us is since evil lust and desire resides within us and because every good and perfect gift comes from where it comes from God. So because every good and perfect gift comes from God, and because all the evil, all the sin and lust is within our own heart, now because of that, let us be swift to hear. Let's be quick to listen. Let's be slow to speak, and let's be slow to wrath. If we would obey these three commandments more, it would help us escape from certain temptations that arise inside each and every one of us. Right? If we're honest, many times we fall into sin because that lure is shiny, right? Our wife or our husband say something, and it's this shiny lure, right? They're wrong. They're dead wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. And then we give in, and we're quick to speak, and we hit them with the truth, right? Or we hit them with what we know. We hit them with what we think, and then what happens? Boom, right? World War III begins. Then they do the same thing, then you do the same thing, and everybody's so quick to speak, and then things are being said that we really don't mean, that are hidden deep within our past and our history, and now all of a sudden someone's crying, you're sleeping on the couch or with the dog, and all sorts of things happen. But now if we're slow to speak and swift to hear, slow to wrath, there's protection for us from temptations. And again, in living in 2020, being slow to speak, it should be slow to speak, 
slow to write, slow to text, slow to blog, slow to reply, slow to everything. Everything that you put out there, whether you're old school and all you have is your mouth and pen and paper, or you're new school and you're sending out social media that people don't even know about yet. We should be slow to do it. And later on, we'll see swift to hear. It's not just us listening to one another, but ultimately the one or the thing that we should be the swiftest or quickest to hear, it's the word of God. And we're going to see what that really means in a moment. A couple verses, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, it warns us in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, verse 27 and 28, it says, He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. I think verse 28 is one of my life verses. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Right? And this is a common thing we see in our world, whether we like it or not. Usually small children... They want to talk, right, about anything and everything. Maybe it's just my kids. My kids, they want to start talking, and they don't even know what they're talking about, right? They don't know where their conversation's going. They don't know what they're about to say, but they just want to talk. And then if you have, man, that joy and privilege of having a granddad in your life or a dad in your life, as they get older and older, usually where are they? They're seated, right, and they're lazy boy or on the sofa, Minding their own business, sitting there quietly, yet they have all the wisdom. They have all the life experience, and yet they're quiet, and they have the wisdom. And for us to take that in, and if we're honest, this is completely relevant, right? Everybody wants to be quick to speak. Everyone wants to be quick to give their opinion. At this point, we're demonized if we say, wait, I want to wait and see. I want to wait and find out. You're demonized as evil, But yet, what we should be doing is looking to the Word of God. We should be slow to speak, right? Let us be slow to speak. Even a fool, they're seen as wise if they stay quiet. Stay quiet. Be that perceptive, quiet individual instead of being that loud person that really reveals to people who you truly are, right? Let us be slow to speak, quick to listen. The next one is slow to wrath. Because the wrath of man does not produce, and also that word in the Greek means practice the righteousness of God. The wrath of man, it does not produce the righteousness of God, and the wrath of man, it does not practice the righteousness of God. In James chapter 3, there's a portion of scripture here, and it gives us more depth into what he's telling us here to be slow to wrath, to be slow to speaking. In James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, it tells us, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. But it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion 
and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above, it is first pure, it is peaceable, it is gentle, it is willing to yield, it's full of mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, family, which interaction here describes you? The wisdom from above or the wisdom that is coming from below? Do you have that meekness? That meekness, it's not weakness. Meekness is power under control. It is power under control. That's what meekness is. Meekness shows that you are right with the Lord because it tells us Jesus that he was meek. Moses, it tells us that he was meek. A general, a man that was able to kill a soldier and somehow he hides him in the sand. And yet he was known as meek. Jesus, he said, hey, at any moment I could call legions from heaven and they would wipe out all the Roman armies. But yet he was meek. He had that power under control. So again, family, when the temptation of an argument arises, and if we're honest, the, they're like looking for us at this point, right? The arguments are looking for us. People are saying foolish things all the time. May we be slow to speak. May we also be slow to wrath. Lots of times that wrath can come out. Sometimes it's that righteous indignation. Lots of times it's not. But may we put that wrath down and say, no, this needs to be done in meekness. The wisdom from above, it is those who make peace. It is those who are teachable, willing to yield. Again, there are many believers or many so-called believers in churches and social media. Again, the way we talk to one another, which filter, right? Which grouping does it belong in? And it all comes from the Lord at the end of the day. Romans chapter 2 verse 4, it tells us, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Family, what has yielded the best results in your, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, in your relationship with your boss, your relationship with friends and family members? Has it been your wrath? Or has it been your kindness, your love? I don't know what works with your spouse or with your kids. Just screaming in all anger, does that really get the job done? Or when you just pour out your love and your care on them, does that get the job done? Because if we're honest, what has drawn us to the Lord, at least for most of us, right? Maybe that's how the Lord got to you. Some pastor literally scared the hell out of you, right? Maybe that's how you came to the Lord, right? Turn or burn. And that's all they told you. You said, man, I don't want to burn, so here I am going to turn. That's not what worked for me. What worked for me was people willing to love me even though I didn't deserve it. Not by their words, but by their actions. That's what drew me to repentance. So again, the way we should be reacting to one another, the way we should even be reacting to this world, right? It tells us to pray for those who spitefully use you, right? Pray for them. Love on them, right? Pray that they would get saved. May we be praying, Lord, do a work. Do a work, right? You see Saul, he changes into Paul. Man, Lord, do a work. Lord, you can do it once again. Verse 21. Then it tells us, therefore. 
lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So now, in view, once again, in view of God's righteousness and goodness, in view of my sin and my evil desires, what we should do is want to lay aside all filthiness. All filthiness. Filthiness, what is it speaking of here? All that is impure and all that is wicked within our lives. And the excess of wickedness, that's wrath, malice, our natural evil disposition towards one another. We should throw these things aside. And again, it's hard because in the Greek, the word all, it means all. It's not lay aside some wickedness. Lay aside the wickedness that you see in other people that you hate. No, it's lay aside all wickedness. The wickedness that we cling to. The wickedness that we make excuses for. The wickedness that we say, I've always been this way, so it's too late for me to change. No, we need to lay aside all of these things. In 1 Peter chapter 2, let's turn there. It's a couple pages right to your right. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Once again, it tells us, Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Again, same idea here. We need to put away the filth and the evil and the sinful things in our lives, and we need to cling to and desire the word of God. We turn to Colossians chapter 3. Now you turn to your left, Colossians chapter 3. Verses 5 through 11, it tells us here, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Again, family, we need to lay aside our sins, our disgust, our wickedness. What are we watching on TV? What are we watching on YouTube, on social media? Are we making excuses for it? Are we saying it's not that bad or, hey, the other people in church watch it too? Or are we saying, Lord, this would be classified as wickedness? Lord, I don't think you would be, Lord, you're here with me. The Holy Spirit is inside of me. But, Lord, I don't think you'd really be down with, hey, let's watch such and such together and sit down next to me. We need to throw these things down. John Trapp, he says, the stinking filth of a pestilent ulcer. Sin is the devil's vomit. 
the soul's excrement, the superfluity of the garbage of naughtiness, the garbage of wickedness. Family, how do we look at sin? How do we look at sin? Do we look at it as something, ay, que lindo, right? It's so cute. It's so beautiful. It's so sweet. Or do we look at sin with disgust, saying, hey, this is what put my Savior on the cross. Hey, if I leave this unchecked, this will come after my marriage. Hey, if I leave this unchecked, this will come after my kids. Hey, if I leave this unchecked, this will come after my job, after my position. Family, how do we look at sin? Because in view of God's goodness, in view that all goodness, all good and perfect gifts can only come from Jesus Christ, and in view that all the evil, it's in my flesh, it's in myself, it's in this world, and it comes from Satan, let's throw aside all of that filthiness. And that's what it's talking about. The idea is throwing it away like a dirty garment once and for all. Throwing it away like a dirty garment once and for all. There's been a lot of ideas in my head, right? A lot of different scenarios here. But I think the one I remember is we went to Disney World and Levi was little, little. He was a little baby. And we were just hanging out. Everything was good. And then all of a sudden, he had a poopy explosion, right? He had a poopy explosion. If you're a parent, it's not like a level one one. No, this is like level 10. It went everywhere, everywhere. So I'm in the bathroom. All I have is a little tiny sink. I'm trying to fit, right? This one-and-a-half-year-old under the sink and give him a bath under the sink, right? I'm trying to call Amanda on the phone to get the baby back. He needs a complete new change of clothes. What do you think I did with those clothes? You think I kept those clothes? Hey, let's save these for later. These are my favorite clothes. No, those things went straight in the trash. I didn't keep those. I didn't say, hey, let's keep those for later. Let me fold them neatly and put them back in the baby bag, right? Those, they got thrown away. So now the way we should treat our old man, the way we should treat our sins, the way we should treat our wickedness, it's throwing it away. Like that gross diaper. The other, I think this is more for boys, right? We had PE. At least when I was in high school, we had PE. And it never, like, dawned on me. I had my change of clothes. I had my locker. I'd go. I'd go to school, have my clothes. I'd go to PE. I'd put on my clothes. PE's done. i put my clothes back in the locker. i put on my uniform. And that's one day. But I did that day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out. I never thought anything of it. But one day my mom came to pick me up early from school during P.E. And she smelled me. She said, what in the world? (laughs) What do you think happened to those clothes at the end of the day? They got thrown away. They got cast aside. So again, for us, how do we treat our sin? Are we that person, right? We have those wretched, those rank, those stinky clothes. And we're saying, you know what? Let me fold these. Let me save these for later. If we're honest, oftentimes with our sin, we're saying, just in case this doesn't work out. Just in case James chapter 1 is lying and all good gifts don't really come from the Lord. Just in case all perfect things don't really come from God. Just in case maybe this sin will actually bring me the goodness and the desire and the hold in my heart that I really have. So let me fold this, oof, let me fold these clothes And let me put them away just in case. Again, family, may we be obedient to God's word. Throw it away. 
Burn the ships, burn the bridges. Don't allow any way to go back to those filthy rags. It's in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. It tells us, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and he was standing before the angel, which is speaking of Jesus. And then he, Jesus, answered, and he spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. You see, family, if you're here and you're saved, you have that relationship and friendship with Jesus Christ. He has taken away your filthy garments, and he has put on now his righteousness, his perfection, his completeness. That's what he has placed upon you. But we need to stay in that. Day in and day out, we need to say, Lord, renew me. Lord, wash me. I like these new clothes. I like these white garments. Lord, keep me pure. Keep me right. Again, we shouldn't go back looking through the garbage, driving to the dump, saying, man, where are those filthy garments? Let me put them back on. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 7. Gives us another beautiful picture here. Revelation chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. It tells us, then one of the elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Again, family, the only way we get to put on these new clean garments, the only way we get to put on this new life is by having the old one die. Having the old one die in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let him wash away your sins. Let him wash away those filthy garments and leave them. Cast them aside for once and for all. Don't turn back. Don't keep it in a safe place, fermenting for months and years to come back to. Throw it away. Cast it aside. Back to James chapter 1. So again, it tells us to cast aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. Throw all of that away and now receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Meekness, again, that's having power under control. And if that power is under control, that power is also going to be teachable. That's what it's asking us here. It's saying, hey, with a teachable heart, accept, receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Again, that filthiness, those filthy clothes, the sin, the wickedness, that will never save your souls. We saw that earlier, right? That brings forth death. That's what that's going to bring forth is death. But now when we receive with a teachable heart the implanted word, it can save our very souls. Let's turn to Psalm 119, verse 9. Psalm 119, Verse 9, right smack dab in the middle of your Bibles, usually Psalm 119, verse 9 through 12, it tells us, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. 
With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Again, so first and foremost, we need to put away that old way of living. And now we need to take in God's word with a teachable heart. We need to take it in. And it's going to show us. It's not just taking it in, but it's actually doing it, right? How does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. We need to be obedient to God's word. It's great that you're here. It's so important that you're here and listening. But this is just half of it. This is just maybe 10% of it. After this, you got to do it. We got to be obedient to God's word, not just the parts that we want. God's word is not a smorgasbord that we say, yeah, I'll take the number one, but I want it without pickles, but then I want the milkshake, but then I want this, I want the fries, put this off the broiler. That's not how you can take God's word. Every page, this is either all God's word or none of it is God's word. That's the way we have to look at it. That's the way we need to live it. In John chapter 15, verse 3, in the King James Version, Jesus tells his disciples, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. Again, family, the way that we are cleansed, And continually cleansed is by taking in God's word and then being obedient to it. Taking in God's word and being obedient to it. Right? We've all been there. What blesses your spouse? What blesses your parents? When you sit there hearing what they say? Or when you actually do what they say, right? We've all been there. You're like sitting there and you're hearing, but you're not really hearing. You're just like... Can you say that one more time, right? Over and over. That's after the third time, right? Today I was convicted. My wife was talking. She was saying all these things. I thought she was talking to Luke the whole time. <laughs> and then she said, kale salad. And I said, oh, man, she's talking to me. That, that cannot be Luke. <laughs> she's asking me what I want for lunch. And again, I was hearing her, but I wasn't listening to her. And we do that with the Lord all the time. We hear, but are we listening? Are we applying Are we not just hearing God's word, hearing the teachings? That's great. That's beautiful. It's super important. But then afterwards, we have to do it, right? When is your doctor's visit? When does it go well? Not when you just sat there the last time. Doc, I sat here. I heard everything you had to say. Yeah, man, but you did the exact opposite. You didn't listen. You didn't heed it. No, it goes well when you're obedient to what he says. The same is true for us. So again, how do we take the word of God in meekness? How are we being obedient to right the beginning of the teaching, being swift to listen? It's by listening to the word of God and doing it. Not just hearing it, listening to the word of God and doing it. Not just hearing it. Family, we got to be obedient to God's word even when we don't like it. Even when our feelings get hurt, our ego gets crushed. We need to be obedient to God's word. Verse 22 through 24, it tells us, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets the kind of man that he was. Family, you want to actually have a friendship and relationship with Jesus? It's not just hearing his word. We have to be doers of his word. Not just the verses we like. All of scripture. Right? George Lee, he always jokes around with the couples, right? In Ephesians 5, there's a certain portion that husbands, you should not look at. And in Ephesians 5, women, there's a certain verses that you shouldn't look at, right? We all love the verses for the other person, right? We always love the verses for the other person. As parents, hey, you got to obey me. you got to honor me. As kids, hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't frustrate me, right? That's, that's the way it is. Husband to the wife, hey, you, you need to listen to me. you got, you got to listen to me. you got to do what I say. And wives, hey, you have to love me. We always love telling other people what they should be doing, but we need to be doers of the word. Not the other people around you. No, we ourselves need to be doers of the word. And now God's word, it's painted as a picture of a mirror. God's word, it's a mirror. And if we're honest, maybe when you're young, you kind of like the mirror, right? But as you get older and older, I guess I'm beef with that mirror sometimes, right? I don't like what that mirror is showing me, but the mirror is not doing anything wrong. The mirror is only revealing what is truly there. And oftentimes we get mad with God's word. In fact, we look at different, almost like a camera, we look for different lenses to the mirror to tell us what we want to hear, to show us what we want to see, right? You get a mirror at home, you don't like it, so you go on Amazon and you buy one of those uh, skinny mirrors, right? And now you look in the mirror and, oh man, I look great, I look amazing, right? You're short, you're mad at your mirror, so you go to the fair and you buy the funhouse mirror, right? And you go, whoa, man, I'm so tall. Look how great I look, right? The mirror is the mirror, family. We need to be obedient to it. Don't be the one that looks in the mirror and then forgets what they just saw. All of you, you look great tonight. You looked in the mirror or you had someone that loved you enough to tell you, right, what was going on. When hair is all crazy, ay, que lindo, let me just go for it. No, right? You sit there, humidity in Miami, the hair, oh, I got to do certain things to it, right? The beard, the spinach in the teeth, whatever is going on, we look in the mirror and we are quick to address it. But when God's word reveals what's going on, are we quick to address it? Again, if we're not doers of his word, there's a warning here for us. We may be deceiving ourselves. That should be a scary thing to us. Are you deceiving yourself? Do you think you're right with God? But God's word says, man, I don't even know you, right? That's the warning that Jesus gives us, that people, they're going to arrive to the entrance of heaven, and they're going to say, Jesus, I'm here. You got, you got my VIP suite ready for me, right? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You heard my word. You acted like you heard my word. But you never did it. You were never obedient to it. They deceived themselves probably with the worst deception ever, thinking that they're right with God when they are not. And if we're honest, that's a common theme even today in this world. There are men and women who think that they are right with God, but they are simply deceiving themselves because the mirror shows otherwise. We need to be a hearer and 
and a doer of the word. We need both. We need to hear God's word rightly, but then, then we need to rightly obey it. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus himself, he's going to tell us this, right? Matthew chapter 7. I spoiled it a little bit already. Matthew 7, and we'll read verse 21 through 29. It tells us, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, right? Now here we get the contrast. The person now who actually does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Family, who are you in this picture? Are you the one doing God's will? Are you the one being obedient to scripture? Not just the convenient ones. Not just the ones you like. Not just uh, chicken noodle soup for the soul. Not just those. Are you being obedient to the whole counsel of God? Are you being obedient to all of it? Right? If your boss comes in and says, hey, we have to fire you. You're not doing what we say. Boss, I'm doing everything else you told me to do. There's just this one thing I don't feel like doing. Why should you fire me, right? Honey, we got to get a divorce. You're, You're not listening to me. You're doing this one thing over and over again. You're messing around. You're sleeping around. Honey. I'm doing everything else you want. It's just this one thing I don't feel like obeying. It's this one thing I don't feel like doing. It it doesn't work that way, family. We need to be obedient to the whole counsel of God. Are we going to sin? Are we going to mess up? Yes. And then yet he's still ready and willing to wash us all over again. But now if we are willfully saying, I will not do that, our pride is coming out. And what we're saying is, I'm God. I'm the leader here. I'm the captain. Jesus, you got to take a back seat. I know who you are. I know who you say you are. But I am the savior of my own life. And that's a terrible place to be. Charles Spurgeon, he says, I fear we have many such in all congregations. Admiring hearers. Affectionate hearers. Attached hearers. But all while being unblessed hearers. Because they are not doers of the word. Family, we got to be obedient to God's word. Not just the convenient ones, not just the ones we like, but the whole counsel of God. Then in verse 25 it tells us, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. 
Let's turn to Psalm chapter 1. Being blessed in what he does. And again, all of this, it stems from the foundation that every good, every perfect gift, it comes from God. Sin and evil, it comes from Satan. It comes from this world. And it comes from the desires within my own heart. But Psalm chapter 1, an incredible blessing and promise here for us, but a warning for us as well. Psalm chapter 1, it tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Again, family, where are we at? Who are we hanging out with? Who are we sitting with? Who are we standing with? Who do we look to for counsel? Is it with the Lord, his people, righteous people? Or again, are we looking to that, that wickedness, those, those dirty garments that we were hiding there that we want to keep? Where are we at with the Lord? We go back to James chapter 1, verse 25. Again, it tells us, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Again, the word here, continuing with that theme of a mirror, it's that person, and again, in this day and age, you get men and women, right? That sit in the mirror, and they, they sit. They sit in front of the mirror, right? And they look at every nook and cranny, right? They address every hair follicle, every pore, every Peace, every molecule, they address it with whatever is needed. They look into it. They don't just use the normal mirror. No, they get the five times mirror, right? If things are bad, we whip out the ten times mirror. And it's not dark. No, it's bright in there. They got every light ready because they want to examine everything there. James is telling us, because we can fall into one end of the spectrum or the other. Hey, I don't got to read God's word. I just do it. I just live it. And that's all good. And then you also have people, hey, I just know God's word. Live it, do it. I can just tell you what it means. I don't have to actually do what it means, right? No, we need to be hearers and doers, but we also need to be looking into the perfect law of liberty. And the perfect law of liberty, again, it's the word of God. It's the Lord. We need to study God's word with a fine-tooth comb. Again, study God's word like you do the news. Study God's word like you do social media. Study God's word like you do Fantasy football, the stock market, whatever it is for you, fishing, food, study God's word with all that you got, family. Study it, continue in it, and then do it. Because if we follow this prescription, we will be blessed in what we do. Just like that man in Psalm 1, the one that stays away from bad and evil counsel, bad and evil people. He's only with sinners when it comes to being able to share the gospel and being a light in the darkness He's not sitting there to hang out or relax. No, he's there on a mission. If you're that person who's reading the word of God and being wise, you are going to be blessed. And now the key thing here is the law of liberty. Family, where do you think the greatest freedom lies? 
Where do you think true freedom really is at? I think that's one of the big topics that our world battles, whether they realize it or not. Where is true freedom? Is it in doing whatever you want? Is it in having no attachments? Being able to pick up and stay up as late as you want and doing whatever you want? Fulfilling every desire, everything you want, everything you feel like doing, you just do it. Is that where freedom really lies? Again, last week you were talking about yo-yo dieting, right? I suffer from that sometimes, right? Have you ever gone through a season where you just eat whatever you feel like, right? You desire it, boom, you eat it, right? doesn't matter. The cookie, the ice cream is going to wreck me, but man, I'm going to go for it. The time, Taco Bell, ah, it doesn't matter. We're just going to go for it, right? First pizza, second pizza, third pizza, eight pizzas, ah, it doesn't matter. Go for it. How do you feel during that season? You feel like a slug, right? You feel gross. You feel stuck. What's going on there? And our world lies to us, telling us that true freedom is in doing whatever you want and answering to no one. But family, the reality is, is when you think you're answering to no one, you are a tool and slave of Satan. That's the reality. And Satan, he's a cruel master. He's going to use you. He's going to abuse you, and then he's going to throw you away. But now Jesus, he has come to purchase us and free us from that bondage of Satan and family. That is where true freedom lies. True freedom lies in being free from the power of death. True freedom is being free from sin, is having the freedom to say no to sin, the power to say, I will not do that to the Lord. That's where true freedom lies. Is that what you are pursuing? Saying, Lord, I want the true freedom that lies in you. I don't want the lies of this world. I want the law of liberty that is within you. That's where true freedom is. Some people think the law of liberty, that it's in knowing more than everybody else, studying more than everybody else, in doing more than everybody else. No family. True freedom only is living a life sold out for Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the only place where you'll find true freedom. Where you'll be able to go to bed at night with peace, with calmness, with joy. You'll be able to go through those seasons of death. And again, you'll be at peace because you know the Lord. You'll be able to go through those difficulties, cancer, terrible car accidents, sickness, a mess, whatever you're going through. And be at peace. Because you have pursued, you have looked into that perfect law of liberty. And you're not just hearing it, but you are actually doing it. The blessing only comes when we do it, family. That's when the blessing comes. Again, James is here writing and he's warning the Jewish people and they would fall prey to this. Just wanting to know everything about it, but never living it out. If we're honest, we don't like people in our lives when they do that. The old guy that comes into the gym that's super overweight that tells you, hey, let me show you how to do this. And you look at him, you're saying, what? Right? You're not practicing this. You're not doing this, right? Or a single person wanting to give you marital advice. Do you, like, love taking advice from them, right? The person with no kids telling you how you should be raising kids. Let me see you do it. Let me see the actions of your life. Hey, I've been bankrupt five times, but let me give you some advice on work and money, right? We don't like that. May we not just be hearers of the word, but may we do it. Again, our walk with Jesus Christ, it's a relationship, family. It's a friendship. And just like I think most people would be creeped out if you would only study them and never spend time with them. The Lord, he doesn't have joy in that. 
that your walk with God is dependent on your knowledge of him, how much you study, how much you know the exegesis and X, Y, or Z, and you have no joy, you have no freedom, you have no peace, you have no kindness, you're not acting out and doing what God's word says, that's not a friendship and relationship. Again, that would be cause for concern. If someone's only studying you and spends no time with you, that's called a stalker, right? You call the police on them. And there are some people in their relationship with God, they don't spend time with the Lord. They're not being obedient to the Lord. They're stalking his scripture. That's a great start. But then we need to do it. We need to be obedient to it. Verse 26 and 27. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Again, you hear the horror stories of pastors and they're one person at the pulpit and they're a different person at home. They're one person at the pulpit, but in the office, don't catch them on a bad day. That should never be us. That should never be me as a pastor. That should never be us as a husband. That should never be us as a youth here. Is your tongue bridled? Are you able to hold on to things? Again, are you slow to speak? Are you quick to dish it out? Are you quick to throw out the gospel? Are you quick to, to harm your own brother and sister? Or do you bridle your tongue? Does the peace, the love of Christ come out from your mouth? Or is it, man, only harshness, right? The wrath of God. That's what God has made me to do to pour out his wrath. No, that's not what God's desire is from us. That's on him. And then verse 27, what does this look like practically? Pure and undefiled religion before God. And the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is a great question for us to ask again. Where are you with this? Are we visiting people in their trouble? Are we blessing other people when we know they can't bless us back in return? Right? That's, that's a great way to think about it. It's not just saying, hey, president of the U.S., do you want to come to my house? Because eh, maybe you'll scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? Maybe it's your boss, a certain pastor, a certain leader in the church. You find out they own a car dealership and you need a car, so now you start inviting them over to your house. Got to be careful with that. That sneaks into church in a hurry. The networking of business, it can quickly creep into church, and it's no longer about a family trying to love on one another. It's a bunch of leeches looking to suck the life out of one another. We need to be careful with that pure and undefiled religion before God. Again, it's visiting those people that can never pay you back. Inviting people over your home and blessing them, knowing that they don't have the means to do this. Not to show your pride and how much over them you are, but to have that reminder of, hey, how did God treat us? How did God reach down from heaven and speak and minister to each and every one of us. I, I got to break it to you guys. The Lord, he didn't reach down from heaven for me because he needed me on any mission. I needed him 150%. That's the way we should be reaching out to one another. Not because they need us, but because we want to bless them the way the Lord has blessed us. We want to love on other people. Again, family, are you loving others in this season? Are you pouring out the love of Christ in this season? It's not just about knowing God's word. It's not just about studying God's word. But it is doing God's word. Giving to others. Do you really believe it's more blessed to give than receive, right? 
Do you actually do that? Do you really say, hey, it's more blessed for me to give than to receive, right? Am I really loving my neighbor as myself? Am I really loving them as myself, right? That last bite of your food is there, and who are you trying to love, right? The struggle. Where are you at? Who are you trying to bless? And then finally, to keep oneself unspotted from this world. Again, family, what is your mission within your relationship with Jesus Christ? It should be high up on the scale. We read Psalm 1. We looked at Colossians. We looked at James. We should be throwing away all sin. All sin. The little convictions that the Lord gives us. And as we grow and mature with the Lord, it gets finer and finer and smaller and smaller. Not because our Lord is a cruel master. Not because he's wanting to be nitpicky. But he's just wanting to give you more freedom. He's just simply wanting to give you more freedom. He's simply wanting to give you more of himself. So as we grow with our walk with God, right, first hopefully you get saved and then it's maybe it's the cussing, right, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's gossip, whatever it may be for you, right, and the Lord convicts you of these things, drinking, partying, sex, all these things, and you get rid of that. And now as you continue to mature and grow with the Lord, it's going to be a little bit more. It's going to be a little bit more, and it's going to be a little bit more, and a little bit more, and don't think, man, I don't want to jump in here. No, your love for him deepens. The sense of his love for you deepens, and you continue to grow and mature with the Lord. And again, that's what James wanted for the church, and that's what the Lord wants for us. That's what I'm hoping for each and every one of us, that we would not only be hearers of God's word, that we wouldn't just be theologians, that we can tell everybody X, Y, Z of God's word, but we don't live it. We don't apply it. That's not what we want here. We want to be biblical people. That we're not only hearers of God's word, but we're doers. Because we want to be blessed. We want to be that wise man. The wise man, the only one that has this house built on the rock, is not just the one that hears. It's the one that doesn't. 